1: Hello there, Nookie, and welcome to What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, a show about how people connect with each other and to their own authentic selves. I'm John, also known as Hi There, Catsuit, and today I present to you a very compelling episode. This episode is very special to me. Last year, I presented a seminar where I got to introduce the one and only Hutsey Hahn star of E! Entertainment's Real Fifty Shades of Grey, and the Try Guys Try BDSM, which has over 10 million views. She is famous for her journey from vanilla to kink, from Disneyland to the dungeon, and quite frankly, one of the most amazing women I have ever seen. In that year since, we have all seen our worlds turned upside down. And in this episode, we learned how that happened to the woman with everything, who discovered her life with nearly nothing, has reintroduced her to her authentic self. Now known as Hutsy from her name Hutsey Hahn and her real name Brooke, Hutsey Brooke has a remarkable story to share. Sit back and be inspired with my friend, Hutsey Brooke.
0: It's five questions about memorable firsts. We call it
1: The First Five. First time you ever set foot on a pageant stage?
2: (laughs) Oh, there were two times I did, so good question. The first time I ever set foot on a pageant stage, I was 11 years old at the Diamond Center Mall in Anchorage, Alaska, and I won the pageant and became Miss Teen Talent Alaska.
1: First time you ever set foot on stage as a professional singer and your mindset going into it?
2: Professional singer. Well, that would mean I got paid, wouldn't it? Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Let's see. Okay. The first time I recall stepping on stage as a professionally paid singer was when I opened for the Pointer Sisters at the Sullivan Arena in Anchorage, Alaska in front of like 20,000 people. Scared Whoa. But I did, get, I did get a stipend, so that counts.
1: That's amazing. <laughs> first time someone approached you and you found out their intentions were bad.
2: Jeez. <laughs> oh, There's way too many of those to know the first time. Uh,
1: Or one time that was very memorable.
2: Okay, I'll tell you one that wasn't the first, but I had a singing manager from like age 12 to 17 or 18. And once I graduated high school, we were out at dinner and he suggested that we sleep together to make our business relationship better. And you know, being a young girl, still new to the, that kind of thing. I uh, acted real polite the way I was trained to as a little girl, you know, you just kind of pretend it didn't happen. And then I just stopped talking to him. I, I haven't spoken to him since. <laughs> it a hundred years ago.
1: First time you stepped into a room as Hutsey.
2: As HUDsey. Well, that would have to be the first session I ever had at the Dominion Dungeon using my new stage name, Hudsy.
1: What was your feeling going into it?
2: I remember that first day at the dungeon, I was really nervous. And the desk mistress had said, You know, usually the first day you either don't get a session because you're new or you get one at the very end of the day. And the very end of the day, I had my very first session, professional play session, with a man who considered himself a top or a male dom. And I actually was traumatized at the end of it.
1: Mm. The traditional fifth question of the first five: first time you ever received an unsolicited dick pic and your reaction wow. to it. Hmm.
2: I was a late bloomer with all that internet date, dating, Craigslist texting kind of thing, but it was probably when I posted an ad on Craigslist looking for a dom and, you know, then the inbox started flooding. (laughs) And there were a lot of dick pics. So I, I wish I could specifically point out that one special guy. I just don't remember his handle or his handle. (laughs) (laughs) I think I, and I was 34 at the time, so again, late bloomer with the big
0: Are you liking what you're hearing? Check out the Total Archives wherever you find your podcasts. And please, remember to subscribe so you don't miss a minute. And while you're there, help John out by giving him a rating and a review. We really appreciate your feedback.
3: Hi, I'm Dr. Allison As, trauma informed sex and intimacy coach and educator and the founder of turnon.love. And I teach a wide range of workshops and courses on topics including flirting and seduction, deepening emotional intimacy, expanding pleasure, exploring fantasies, repairing ruptures in relationships, navigating non-monogamy and more. And I work with individuals and couples in a coaching dynamic to support them in getting out of their heads and into their bodies and navigating challenges like erectile dysfunction and anorgasmia, to help men figure out how to express their desires in ways that feel authentic and not let opportunities pass by any longer, to help women explore what they want and really advocate for it in their relationships and to support couples in getting the spark back and in exploring non-monogamy if you want to open up your relationship. To explore all this and more, you can check out my website at www.turnon.love. And don't forget to listen to my episode of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. It's in the archives wherever you listen to your podcast.
1: Realizing that you're a polyamorous can be a wonderful insight. The Polyamory Dating Guide is a book about finding other people who share your view of polyamory and wanna share it with you. This book includes a variety of sections on poly specific dating, such as navigating online dating with a review of poly specific dating sites and how to make a profile that works, real time dating tips that will tell you where to find polyam people and how to make a positive impression, how to date as an existing couple, and if you should, dating as an introvert, queer in dating, and lots more. Get your copy at polyamorydatingguide.com.
0: Hi. This is Jane Boone, the author of the novel, Edge Play. It's a revenge fantasy where the big short meets 50 shades of gray. Only the women wield the whips and the billionaires submit. You can find it at Amazon and paperback or for your Kindle. And be sure to check out my episode with Tara Indiana right here on what women and other wonderful humans want. Thank you. Welcome back to What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. Here again is our host, John, or as we know him, hi there, catsuit.
1: When I first met you when we were both doing a Dating Kinky seminar, you were Hutsey Han. And now you have made the transition to Hutsey Brook. Your original journey was from vanilla to kink. And now it seems... That it's going from kink to the, your authentic self. Tell me what brought you to this from the time we first met to now?
2: <laughs> Which is like, what, about a year? It's been, a, been year. a year? Yeah. So we first met right when the pandemic was announced, like right after that. And what happened to me in the last year was actually something that took a couple years to manifest. So I just wasn't aware of it until the last year, but I basically gave up everything, meaning everything that I believe I stood for, everything that my ego thought I should be. Mm -hmm. Um, And that that happened to me through a school of hard knocks by making some decisions that I won't say are wrong because I don't believe in mistakes, I believe in lessons like everything happens for a reason, but um, due to some choices I made that didn't pan out, I had to sell and give away everything I owned so that what I was left with was my car and my dog. And basically when that happens and then the pandemic happens after it, mm-hmm. like a year after it, you kind of just, you're ready for the pandemic, but you're, you're also still not able to sustain yourself in the ways that you used to. So. I had a death of of an ego and on my 50th birthday, I actually did the show 50, the death of an ego. And that's a joke about ageism, but it's also about turning a corner. You're now in the second half of your life if you're lucky to live another 50 (laughs) and you're looking at how do I, how do I take everything I've been through good and bad, wrong or right and make it a gift to myself. And basically I lost everything, Um, the amazing, cover band business i'd run for nearly two decades like dried up um the obviously sessioning and coaching and teaching in the world of kink and bdsm dried up um i all the stuff that i thought was me the latex dresses the high heels the uh awesome outfits for the stage uh all of that stuff was gone Mm. and i really did some soul searching and it's like I am really tired of turning myself into an object for your pleasure. It doesn't mean I don't enjoy performing, teaching, playing, all of those things, but it's just exhausting. And HUDsey and Brooke, I was born Brooke, Hudsey came along in my late 30s. So it's it, it's a little, it's a little bit crazy making to try to sustain two personas, especially when I'm actually out. I'm out of the kinky closet. Anyone who knows me or anyone who Googles me can figure it out very easily. I don't try to hide it. Uh, My family knows, my good friends know, colleagues know. I, I don't see the point. I never have in hiding what I want or who I am. But it took losing everything uh, through some choices and, and then moving all over the globe, trying to figure out where I belong to realize that sometimes you have to go back to the beginning, mm-hmm. you know? And I don't know if you've ever um, been there yourself, but it, it just feels like everything eventually comes back to a circle, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm just owning both of my names. Rather than, because Hudsi Han is, is a certain kind of thing and she's been great and we had a good run. You know, she's a great horse. I was riding her a long time. <laughs> uh, she can really run fast, you know, but uh, I'm tired of pulling her mane and her hair out and, you know, like wearing her out and uh, her feet hurt, you know, <laughs> high heels are a bitch.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> so, you know, it's about finding the Zen, finding the spirituality, finding the purpose of life finding oneself. And, um, there's this beautiful quote that I love that's been like the meaning of my year, uh, Buddha, he says, no one saves us, but ourselves, no one can, and no one may, we ourselves must walk the path. And that's, that was one of my hardest lessons. I always felt like I needed help, you know, and the truth is I I have it in me to help myself. And uh, one of the things with that is, you know, Hudsey is, is this sparkly, bright thing. And Brooke was a very shy little girl who had some very kind of Forrest Gump experiences.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: I can't tell you how many amazing people I've worked with, met, crossed paths with, celebrities, influential pe- influential people who um, I, I just let the moment pass me by. Very mm-hmm. Gumpy, you know? Not even more aware than Forrest Gump may have been, but still in that space of not feeling I could go further with it. So,
1: I didn't live in L.A., but uh-huh. I can only imagine the people that you met and worked with along the way that people would yeah. be going, whoa, that's amazing. And I can tell you in my own way, not living in L.A., but living in Washington, D.C., And also being in the sports business, the amount of people that I have had brushes with Mm, and mm -hmm. Forrest Gump my way through, (laughs) it's pretty amazing. So I want to hear more about those stories, about the different Forrest Gump moments that you had. And I know one was with Ed McMahon.
2: (laughs) You did your homework. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah that was a or moment. should i say and,
1: yes you are correct sir
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah that i was on junior star search and star search i got to stand next to him twice when they tallied boats on two different episodes and mm. uh it was interesting because i just remember i was 14 and 15 and i just remember standing there and realizing i was standing next to a great man, someone who's done a lot in his life. I, I didn't have a clue as to what that was because I was a kid <laughs> and I didn't care about that kind of thing. I just knew him from the tonight show, Johnny mm-hmm. Carson and all that. But it, it just really, it, I did feel like Forrest a. Gump, you know, where I'm standing there, I'm on one side of him and the challenger is on the other side of him. And I was aware that I was in this moment that was a highlight of my life. It was a big moment of my life up to that point. And, but I wasn't really feeling the, the momentous occasion. I wasn't fully present to how important that was. Um, which again, I feel silly saying that cause it's an ego thing. But <laughs> when you're a little girl from Anchorage, Alaska who's gotten all the way to Hollywood and on a TV show it's a pretty big deal. You know, um, my whole life was wrapped around making that dream come true. And here I was standing next to the man who's supposed to make that dream come true. Mm
4: -hmm. (laughs) And I was clueless, you know.
1: Those who have not been on stage or in front of the public speaking or singing in front or performing in front of thousands of people don't really understand the magnitude of what it's like to stand there with everyone looking at you. Mm Mm-hmm. Can you explain to our audience what that feels like?
2: You know, it's been different for me over my lifetime. When I was a young girl under the age of 18, you know, from age 11 and up, I've been performing like that. And there was a time when I opened for the Pointer Sisters and I was absolutely petrified. I I remember being backstage thinking, what am I doing here? This is insane. And my mom had hired a makeup lady to paint my face and (laughs) when she was done i looked like i was 21 instead of 11 mm. and uh she she was amazing she told me to start she was giving me chants. like i think they were buddhist chants mamyoho renge kyo, mamyoho renge kyo. i didn't know what i was saying but it got my mind off of what i was about to do which was perform in front of 20,000 people and that was the first time i learned how to detach or put blinders on mm-hmm. But once I got through high school and found musical theater where I could play other people and the audiences got bigger, you know, and then I ended up at Disneyland where I was performing every weekend, five shows a night. I got really, really, really good at engaging with an audience where when I was a little girl, I would just ignore the audience and get through it and stand like like a statue. Mm -hmm. But as I got older, became more mature, I found I started to like it and I liked to portray. characters of the lyrics of the song and I started to just it was actually the lights and the sound and the stage was an excuse for me to feel important and special Mm -hmm. when I wasn't on stage I would hide from the world but if you gave me a reason you know be it Disneyland or a dungeon for that matter Mm -hmm. I would bring it but there had to be lights, there had to be makeup, there had to be costumes, there had to be a character I could play. And the objectification was my elixir, it was my happy drug, you know, uh, it, but I had to have an excuse to to be special, you know.
1: <laughs> I'm not sure what the costumes you wore at Disneyland were like, but I have seen your latex armor, so to speak, when you have been in front of the camera or when you are talking to a kink group. Mm -hmm. Is the feeling different when you are presenting yourself in that way than you are when you're singing? Or is it the exact same thing with a different character in place?
2: You know, it's interesting. Singing became so second nature to me and especially reading a crowd and being on stage that the kink, the sessions were easy because it was another performance where I was connecting with an audience member being the client. But when I would teach BDSM or try to convey my knowledge on the subject of BDSM, uh, I got way more nervous than I would Mm -hmm. singing. And it's probably because I have a lot more, ex- I had a lot more experience singing, mm-hmm. uh, but also talking about kink. I just think it's, it was me talking about kink. It wasn't singing someone's song,
4: mm-hmm. you
2: know, uh, but two very different, very different experiences, but both coming from someone who wants to share creativity,
4: mm-hmm.
2: you know, same girl, same little girl with a dream to share her joy of whatever you know and kink definitely became a performance to me uh but it was always at the behest of the other person's request
4: Mm -hmm.
2: you know whereas if i sing i could pick the song i want to sing if -hmm. i feel sad i could sing a torch song if i'm in a super good mood i could sing something bubblegummy. but if the client wants a certain vibe i i need to adjust if if i'm okay with the parameters of it
1: between your time at disneyland and the time at the dungeon. I'm sure that Brooke had quite the journey, but I'm also guessing that it wasn't always easy.
2: I, I mean, I don't think anyone has it easy. I think we all have those those hard knocks so that we can evolve. You know, I I think my kryptonite has been romance and daddy issues that's where I've caused myself the most pain Mm
4: -hmm.
2: and to acknowledge that is huge, you know, uh, because it deflates it, you know, um, being little Brooks singing or being expected to be something important, the star, like to achieve a certain amount of notoriety, that was tough as a little girl. Sure. You know, um, but it, I always found a way to create opportunities for myself to sing you know um and then once hudsey was an accident and once that happened it, it did feel like i kind of had to put broken in a bit of a coffin mm-hmm. which wasn't right you know i i really feel for a lot of us who've been sex workers and and there's so many branches on that tree whether it's a burlesque dancer a erotic masseuse a tantric healer a, a dominatrix an escort whatever it is um an adult star you know a porn star um having the two personas having two different names i don't think it's fair i think that we did that because we all had to mm-hmm. and uh i think if people want to do that because of safety and security reasons of course of course by all means but like stormy daniels for example she was completely out as stephanie clifford she didn't have a choice Mm
4: -hmm.
2: you know everybody knows both names and i think i think that there's a there's a blessing in the privacy and safety of that and there's also a curse in why can't why can't brooke wilkes do this why does Mm -hmm. it have to be hudsey Han? you know um i'm gonna get woo -woo on you for a minute Mm -hmm. if you don't mind If it's too boo-boo for your show, you can take it out. But uh I think the reason I've had so much difficulty with my lessons in this life, I think I I believe in past lives and I believe that we evolve as as spiritual beings. And I think that I really wanted to be handed some challenges. And it literally feels like I've had 20 lives in this life. When I talked to you about the little girl who opened for the Pointer Sisters and Doc Severinsen and all these people before the age of 13. I don't even feel like that, that was me, Mm -hmm. but I have all those memories and, oh my God, well, why didn't I become that singer? Why did I become, I'm more well-known as a dominatrix and a kink coach than I ever was, you know, as a singer. Uh, I mean, as far as the internet is concerned, you Mm -hmm. know, but Maybe that's something I asked for. And I just don't remember asking that. Like, you know, this time around, I wanna really get my ass kicked in all these areas. And, um, you know, I apologize. I'm like really saying a lot of things off of one question, but there's just so much to all that. There's a lot of trauma to a little kid who thinks they're supposed to be something and it doesn't pan out. But then as survival, we create new ways to create ourselves. I mean, look Mm -hmm. at how we've all created ourselves during a pandemic, recreated ourselves. Um, When we met, I was living in Ireland and now I'm in Colorado. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know that was gonna happen. So, you know, I mean, it's a long answer to your question, but I think we all just got to keep moving along. And and the best part about this time in, in history, like when people hear this years later, I want them to know that The best part about the pandemic and COVID and all of this is that we were all in it together and we all gave each other a little more understanding
1: Mm
2: -hmm. and gave each other a break, you know? And and only because we all knew exactly how it felt.
1: You talked about romance and daddy issues.
2: (laughs) Yes, daddy, I did. (laughs) Just kidding. Sorry, you didn't give consent.
1: I am a hopeless romantic always have been, have been disappointed many, many, many times. Never had daddy issues, (laughs) but I did have a father that I looked up to a lot. And I know that you had a dad that you looked up to a lot.
2: Well... I do now. Hmm. Uh, I have, gosh, I feel like you're Oprah Winfrey pulling my heartstrings, John. Um, You know, my dad and I have so much more in common than I ever knew. Uh, Right now I'm saving up money to get an RV so I can drive around the country and share my book and teach and, do what I do and that's something my dad would have done he would have he had all these tractors and vehicles and a a place like where he kept all of them and he was you know always on the go having adventures and it wasn't until he passed away that I really investigated who he'd been mm. because I believed I, I bought the ticket to the show that said that my dad was not a good dad totally bought the seat, got the popcorn, went, yeah, and st- you know, pointed at the screen, and agreed with everything that was kind of painted around mm-hmm. me about him, you know? And I don't blame anybody for those perceptions. You just kind of, as a kid, you go with the flow and, and what's the easiest thing to accept about your perception of someone, especially an adult, especially when it important as your dad.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And it wasn't until I asked to write his eulogy my mother told me some amazing things about him. Like he was always being sent to different places to live. You know, he wasn't really wanted. Mm-hmm. And one time he and his brother were living on a farm and he found the stray dog and it was his only friend. But the farm had a cow and the dog would chase the cow around. So the farmer shot the, do- the dog and killed it. And my dad shot the cow. Mm -hmm. That story is intense and horrible. And yet I understand how that little boy was feeling. You know, he finally found a being to, to love that loved him and he was living someplace he wasn't even wanted, you know, and this is how he balanced the situation for himself. Mm -hmm. That was, you know, and just, just horrible. Right. But I mean, when I heard that story, when I was writing his eulogy, I put that in as, as a kind of comedy thing. We, we spun it where it was actually funny instead of tragic. Mm -hmm. And it it really helped me understand my dad did the best he could as a dad. He didn't have a dad. So boo hoo, Brooke, get over it. You know, the guy had one best friend and a a farmer shot it. (laughs) You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's like, You just, you don't know people's stories, you know? And so I look up to my dad now more than I ever did when he was alive. And Mm -hmm. I'm tearing up telling you that. And it really has given me a lot of peace around the men I've brought into my life, you know, Mm -hmm. especially intimate relationships, you know, just really giving them the space to behave the way they do and understand that it's not about me. Mm -hmm. My dad's lack of parenting was not about me. It's the lack of parenting he got, you know, and what he did with that. So, and to bring in the whole like daddy issue thing, you know, that's why BDSM was so appealing to me at first because it gave me the stage as the performer where I got to act like the wounded daughter or little girl who needed saving, who needed rescuing, she, she needed love, she needed understanding. And I met some really amazing men Um, some not so amazing but there was a few that really helped me Mm -hmm. and you know that that was a gift that was a gift to me so you know everything happens for a reason I don't blame my father for anything I've been through in fact I think for because of him I've had these great lessons
1: beyond your beautiful red hair (laughs) on the back wall of where you're talking to me from, I see the word love. Mm-hmm. Is it hard to believe in love when you've been through everything that you've been through?
2: Not at all. In fact, I'm, I'm on an abstinence streak, one of the longest I've ever had.
1: And <laughs> That's not something that people talk about on this show a lot. I will admit I that. know,
2: right? We're we're surprising everyone. They're they're like, what am I listening to? I thought this is what women want, what not what women don't want. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean because I can say, oh boo-hoo, I've had a lot of failed romances, but the truth is I'm lucky I've had some.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Some people go almost their whole life without having one they really, one or one they really, really, really treasured, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and every single relationship I've had, and we're not talking about the, the Craigslist dick pic people, we're talking about people that actually I spent time with. We had a chapter together. They all taught me something, even the really painful chapters, Um and again, I will go back to the woo-woo thing about that. I truly believe I must have been married for like 50 years in my last life and and was like had a stable, loving marriage and a lot of kids. And I said, this time I need to do the other thing,
4: mm-hmm. <laughs> you know,
2: and the lesson is, oh, it's lonely, but without loneliness, we don't learn anything, you know, when everything's comfortable and I guess stable, you mm-hmm. know. Are we really evolving? The point is life is pain. What's that line Carrie Elway says in The Princess Bride? Life is pain, your highness. Anyone who says differently is selling you something. (laughs) It's a great line. What a great point. You know, it's like, yeah, there's been heartache. Yeah, there's been lots of, I won't even say failed romances. I'm an optimist when it comes to love, but I'm also really, as of June 2021, I'm really enjoying my dry streak (laughs) it's it's good it's good do you
0: want to leave us a comment thought or have something to contribute to the show you can now call or text us at the 3w hotline at 513-788-2527 that's 513-788-2527 or drop us an email at john j-o-n at DatingKinky.com. That's John, J-O-N, at DatingKinky.com. We can't wait to hear from you. Hello, I'm Jessie Sage from Peep Show Media. Peep Show Media is a multimedia magazine bringing news and stories from the sex industry. Be sure to check out our website at peepshowmedia.com for essays, porn reviews, events, interviews, news stories, and more. Also, make sure to listen to our podcast, The Peep Show Podcast, anywhere you get podcasts. And for a bit more of a personal glance into my life, make sure to check out my January 15th interview on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. Welcome back to What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. Here again is our host, John, or as we know him, hi there, catsuit.
1: Let's talk about some of the fun things that you have done. And I'll go to the thing that a lot of people know you from, which is the Try Guys video from BuzzFeed. (laughs) I watched it again last night. And... That lucky guy who got to play with you (laughs) was so bright eyed. It was like, what is happening to me? And why do I feel like I'm 12 years old again? While the other people in the video seem to be having a lot of fun with it. How much fun was it to do that?
2: My friends, Kate and Steve got me that gig. They, they basically pitched me for it and I got it. So I got to thank them. Um, It was really fun. And, you know, it's funny when I haven't been in kink for that long, I found BDSM in 2005 and didn't become HUDsy till 2010.
4: Mm.
2: And by 2012, 50 Shades of Grey became mainstream. And that was when I, and by 2015, that's when I did the Try Guys video and the movies were all coming out from the book. And I was in the right place at the right time you know, any number of dominatrixes could have gotten that gig, but I just was in the right place at the right time as happens from like the Forrest Gump thing we were talking about. Mm -hmm. And I had a blast doing that. And when they asked me, I said, look, I will do it, but I really treasure the BDSM community and all of the values I've learned from it. And, and all of our sacred secrets, like vampires have, you know, (laughs) and I don't want to make fun of it. If we're going to have fun, let's have fun. But I don't want it to be made fun of Mm -hmm. where I'm like, clueless, you know, about what the angle was like, no, 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 no. It's going to be fun. And we respect it. I said, okay. And I think that was the point. And what's funny is um, the gentleman that I was practicing spanking on and and being interviewed by Mm -hmm. at the time they told me, well, you're going to play with him because he's the only one of us who's single. (laughs) (laughs) So I was like, that makes sense. Cause you know, I'm sure the wives and husbands at home don't want, you know, to, to be upset but I thought that was really good but it was funny because he looks so young mm-hmm. I felt like I and, and he's not he's a man I think he's in his 30s now but I just felt really wrong doing it because he had this kind of almost childlike look but mm-hmm. a man came, was speaking you know so and uh he was just delightful and we had a lot of fun um I think it was Zach I think that's his name that but sense. uh they you know just really really fun and uh, very lighthearted. and they had all these toys on set that were made by love honey mm-hmm. that was the 50 shades of gray official toy at the time I think um but I was wearing stockroom gear and I brought mm-hmm. stockroom props so I made sure they put siren latex in stockroom in the credits of the the clip that now has something like 10 million views because <laughs> I I wanted to make sure I, you know, honored my, my family at the Stockroom for loaning me all that amazing stuff I got to wear and use in the video. But yeah, at the end, I zapped them with uh, the Stockroom's uh, Violet Wand.
1: They loved it. It was just hilarious. So, when that all finished and it was a great day of shooting, <laughs> did any of them share? any stories about wow we never knew what this was all about
2: no they didn't and but i think that was because you know buzzfeed at at least at the time i haven't been there in a while is a very efficient machine it's just go 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 okay we're on to the next thing they had a time frame they had to get this all done in Mm -hmm. and there wasn't really time for us to sit around and you know q and a each other it was it was they were on to their next uh Script they were filming. Mm -hmm. They they have a lot of stuff going on in that. But I mean, they have all these warehouses with sets everywhere with things they're constantly filming. And some of those things never make it on to YouTube Mm -hmm. or onto their channels. You know, so yeah, it was very efficient. We're going to do this now. You know, and you and Zach are going to sit on the bed with this teddy bear, and you're going to spank him. You know, (laughs) and (laughs) when they went a lot of the B roll where I had to, and luckily I had my nails painted at the time where I was showing the props. You know, and doing Mm -hmm. all this stuff. So doing your best, Carol Merrill. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or George Costanza, the hand model, you know, it was like, we, we basically got everything done in, in a few hours. So it was very efficient. Not a lot of not a lot of powwowing.
1: For those of us who dream about scenes and dream about different things that we would love to do. You were able to be a curator for arguably one of the biggest BDSM toy stores anywhere, meaning you had the ability to take a look at and/or use just about every amazing thing there was. <laughs> Tell me what it was like being the curator of everyone's dreams in addition to everyone's toys.
2: Well, I mean, first of all, gotta thank Johnny White, who was the creative director at the time, who had was a new friend at the time in 2014 and he just offered me the job to be the headmistress of adult education at the stockroom and came in there and just i'd already booked events in my cover band business i knew how to handle talent Mm -hmm. i knew how to efficiently keep a calendar going i knew how to be organized and respectful of people but also in charge and so I just took all that previous experience and put it onto all of our favorite kink educators and public speakers in, adult, in the adult industry. And it's funny, I did feel a shift in how I was treated. It's because mm-hmm. remember, hudsy was created to work in a dungeon in 2009, 2010. And by 2012, when Fifty Shades started popping, my persona was also popping. And by the time I was at the stockroom in 2014, the movies were coming out. So everything was kind of happening to me at the same time mm-hmm. with being this Forrest Gump moment where I'm marketable and my clean cut Disney experiences is making seem more attractive to mainstream people mm-hmm. who want to get on the Fifty Shades train, but they're not sure how to do it without scaring the entire world. So I was, everything was aligned. And when I started working at the stockroom, that was also when the Buzzfeed thing was coming out. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden I seemed larger than life. I had my 15, well, more than 15 minutes in the kinky spotlight, you know, and it's funny. There's people that, that knew me who I didn't know who they were. Mm
4: -hmm.
2: And that, I thought that I got a taste of what famous feel like when I would come off the stage at Disneyland and you'd have families and children coming up to you and they think you're like an actual Disney character. You know, it was that cause that place is magic.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: If you entertain it anywhere at Disneyland, people think you are supernatural. <laughs> you know, that it's, it's amazing. It's amazing to, to, and you get an idea of what it must feel like for a celebrity like a Tom Cruise or a Madonna, whoever. Mm-hmm. And with Stockroom, I got that as well, because uh, people would be coming to me wanting something that had never come to me wanting something before. Mm-hmm. So in a way where Disney gave me the, the you're a famous princess vibe at stock it was like, you're the one who can make something happen for me and let me, what can, what can I do to make that happen? You know, um, so that was interesting. And, and, you know, it was, I think the first internet toy company, Joel Tucker founded it uh, right out of high school. He was he told me the story. He was making floggers uh, in his apartment, and then he was selling them through a mailing list, you know. And uh, he had a catalog he put together, and he was the first one to hit the internet. He got on the train long before anybody else, and that's why to this day they are even during a pandemic they're thriving because they're the longest running adult toy company on the internet. Mm -hmm. And he has some people that still work for him that have been there the whole time, you know, nearly three decades. So that's a big power. It's a big, powerful name. Uh, the Stockroom is a brand that Michelle Pfeiffer wore siren latex in, in the Batman movie. You mm-hmm. know, it's it was an honor to work there, and uh, you know it's it's an honor to curate classes for people who are passionate about learning to be respectful of the art of BDSM. Mm-hmm. And, and it, was, it's, it was a true honor to get to book people and meet people I hadn't met before who are extremely talented. You know, I, I now consider Midori a good friend. Uh, you know, there's, there's just so many people that I've learned from that have taught there, you know, that, that are just icons in our community, mm-hmm. you know, in our kinky community across the globe. So it's, it was a great experience. And um I learned a lot. And if it wasn't for Johnny White, I never would have worked there. So he's, he's an amazing soul.
1: I was so amazed getting to interview Midori. It's like, <laughs> it's like interviewing Paul of the Beatles. I mean, when you're talking Ooh, about King, it's compliment. like interviewing Paul.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, she and, you know, she's a, just such a lovely person. We've had some lunches and dinners because of our time getting to know each other at the stockroom, And uh, just she would bring me when she'd come back into town and we book her to teach. She would bring me chocolates
4: Aww. and
2: little things from her travels. And I just went, you know what? She what a classy woman. Mm-hmm. You know, she knows she knows what I'm doing for her and she's doing something back for me. And a lot of people don't do that. You know, they just hey, Give, 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 give. You know, and you give because you're supposed to. Mm-hmm. She always gave back and um, very unexpected and very classy. Just a wonderful person.
1: Can you give me, because I'm not going to ask you to narrow it down to one. <laughs> oh, no, I'm afraid of the question. But can you give me two or three of your favorite moments as Hutsey?
2: Oh, boy. Oh, yes, for sure. Okay the one that popped into my head first is when I was asked by E entertainment television to star on the real 50 shades of gray. They were doing a documentary and they were interviewing a handful of people. Uh, They were, they picked like real couples Mm -hmm. to show how they live the lifestyle. And then they had people, even Midori was on it. They had people that were, this is before I knew her people who were commenting on kink itself. And then they had me, who was single, who was showing what it's like to be a switch. And I ended up getting, uh, half of the episode, which was amazing. And they came to my house. They, I showed them my play area. And then they came to the dungeon I worked at and filmed me playing with someone. It was an amazing experience. And at one point the woman who'd produced it called me and said, Hudson, listen, I feel really bad. Um, we, we need to flesh out your story a little more. We need to interview one of your exes. I was like, oh my God.
4: Mm.
2: <laughs> and she's like, I don't think it, we can use your footage if we don't do that arc. And I know it's horrible to ask, but is there any of them that you'd feel comfortable us interviewing? I'm like, oh my God. And there's one that's like the love of my life that um, I couldn't nominate for privacy and other mm-hmm. reasons. The other one was a male dom I'd been with who we had broken up, and, but he was in the public. He had no problem. So I ended up calling him and, and he graciously agreed. And that was, that was really awkward, <laughs> but it ended up being, a, they really flushed it out nicely and uh, it turned out to be a great episode for them. Um, so that, that was my, I think for me, my top Hudsey moment. I could say that BuzzFeed was a top moment, but really that that's Buzz, BuzzFeed's gem. It got 10 million views because of BuzzFeed, you know, um, not because of Hudsey. I think, gosh, I think my other highlight as Hudsey is probably being out and doing three different versions of my memoir show now where I basically explain how I became Mm Hudsey through song and narration. Kind of very much like uh, the late but great Carrie Fisher, who did her memoir show on the road, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I do that, I start as Brooke and show how I become HUDSY. And to me, whenever I do that show for people, it's the most important thing I've done as Hudsey because it's allowing people to see how this happens. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that we're depraved or, you know, strange. It's, I think that we all are kinky or find BDSM because we're working through something. And sometimes we find that it works for us. And sometimes we work it out, you know, but it's important to explain that to vanilla people,
4: Mm -hmm.
2: or judgmental people who don't understand it. You know, for me, it's been a kind of coaching and therapy. So if I can share that through what I'm naturally good at, which is singing and and performing on stage, then it's a win win.
1: Because if Brooke can be the idol and role model for so many little girls. (laughs) There's no reason as they grow up that Hutsey couldn't be the same.
2: Well, I was that little girl Mm -hmm. watching people on stage. I mean, that's, I have a photo on my Facebook of me and a two little girls and I'm, I'm cuddling them. And I just finished a show at Disneyland and my hair is bright red. I just started dyeing it red. This is like 10 years ago, almost 10 years ago. And I thought to myself when I looked at the photo, oh! After that show, I went to a play party at a dungeon, and it felt <laughs> kind of like a sacrilege to be hugging these adorable little girls who were probably only five, you know. And they thought I was a Disney princess, and they had no idea that Disney princess was going to a club to flog people later, you know, mm-hmm. that wanted to be flogged. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, um, but but see, we—why is there a shame in that? I certainly didn't tell the little girls that, and I didn't. Tell their parents that who took the photo, and they didn't know. And you know, so what? Like, their parents are going to go home later and probably do weirder things than I did that night. You know, <laughs> like, so there's so much judgment in, in you know, the lifestyles or the professions that some of us have had in this darker side of, you know, sexuality. Mm-hmm. But there shouldn't
1: be. You talk about your death of an ego at age 50, and I understand what you mean. I feel that the same thing kind of happened to me at age 50, where I had done most of my amazing firework moments in my 30s and 40s, but I was still making a difference into my 50s. You are taking a totally new path in your life, that was born of a rebirth during a pandemic, but there were a lot of things that were so fast in your previous life, that now that things have slowed down, it seems like you're appreciating some things more.
2: Oh, for sure.
1: And close.
2: (laughs) Yes, and I'd, I'd actually like to announce something for the first time. You're the first person who's going to get to hear this publicly uh there's a book i've been working on for a very long time and it didn't i thought when my father died it had the arc but that was a that was like the false ending right that was like the what has happened during this this pandemic i started out as a singer then i became this famous dominatrix and then I lost everything my money my belongings my home and I couldn't do what I used to do for money because nobody's hiring right now there's nobody's booking singers no one's asking for sessions no one wants to take a kink class that that zoom market was oversaturated (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know because we're all stuck at home and you will not believe what i ended up doing i was singing for my supper i was banking people into submission and now i'm scrubbing my soul and i'm doing it literally and spiritually what do i mean i've been cleaning houses for the last for almost half a year now wow and the reason is not because i aspired to be a domestic uh, cleaning goddess, although it certainly has some submissive angles to it in a fantasy world. Uh, I literally could not find work and this company was hiring. And so every day I would go to a new house and clean it. And the first month, John, I would cry.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: I would be alone in a mansion that really wasn't that dirty, but people want to clean more now, especially during COVID. And sometimes it'd be something as simple as I hit my head on a cupboard when I was getting up from the floor, from scrubbing the floor, or I'd just be so exhausted. But mostly I would cry for the, the death of who I once was. hmm and how humiliated I felt no one was humiliating me no one was belittling me in the room most of the time when I clean them by myself right but I was killing Brooke and Hudson like who they were they are gone and I was surviving and after I, I literally felt like Uma Thurman in Kill Bill when she's on the mountaintop with her her master the the, the guru who's going to teach her everything mm-hmm. And he's kicking her ass, making her carry buckets of water up the hill. And, he's, and she's, she can't hold her chopsticks because she's so exhausted. And she's just, she breaks. I was being broken, but there was no one there except a dirty house. And as I was scrubbing, something magical happened. I started to find the joy in cleaning someone else's home. And I started to do little things they didn't ask me to do, like refill the vase that the, the flowers were wilting because the water was gone, or making sure that all of the bottles in the shower were organized by type or size. You know, anything I could think of to make this stranger's home happier. Mm-hmm. And what, ha- what first was extreme humiliation and exhaustion. Here we are almost six months later, I've lost 20 pounds without even realizing it because it's a workout. I've gone from cleaning one house a day to three. Um, I am literally scrubbing my soul from the inside out. And it feels amazing. And I know this is like, I don't, I don't think I'm going to be like a professional house cleaner the rest of my life, but this is something that needed to happen. And I, I tell you on the show, you have all these fantastic women on your show who are glamorous and exciting and they're sharing their stories. And I'm here to tell you, I'm 50 and I'm cleaning houses right now during a pandemic. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with admitting that. You know. And I still sing once in a while and I still uh, coach someone online once in a while. But the truth is this pandemic that we're all going through and if you're listening years from now, It was the most amazing gift that any of us could have received. And I'm not saying it's not horrible that people have died or gotten really sick because it is horrible, but I did die (laughs) Mm -hmm. in another way. And I wouldn't trade it for anything. Uh, So Sing, Spank, Scrub is the name of my new book that's coming out soon. I'm I'm self-publishing it. the scrubbing my soul and literally by scrubbing houses was the biggest lesson I think I must have agreed to before this life that I needed to have. And we're in the age right now of entitlement and, you know, especially being a white woman, not understanding what people of color go through or the LGBT community goes through. You know, I've had a pretty easy life uh, as far as certain problems may go, but this had to happen, this chapter, and I'm so thankful for it. And uh, sorry, it's a long winded answer to your question, but it's important to be real, you know, and be honest that my life has not been all wine and roses. Yeah, I've got the Buzzfeed Try Guys video and I've had TV appearances and I've performed millions of times and I've met amazing famous people and not famous people, but cleaning houses is something I need to admit to because there's nothing wrong with it. And it's real. It feels really good to tell you that because we live in this social media world. Where we're all perfect and everything's just hunky dory peach keen jelly bean and nothing's wrong. No, er, we ha- all have problems. We all have lessons and to not admit that is not right. It's not glamorous to picture me in knee pads with my hair tied up in a handkerchief and a mask on my face sweating as I inhale comet cleaner. But hey, you know what? <laughs> it's real,
1: it's gritty. The first time I met you was on a dating kinky workshop. And it was the first time since. Becoming this podcaster, or about to become this podcaster that I am now, that I got to meet a famous person in kink. It was really cool. And I was like, wow, I really like this person. I'm going, wow, she's beautiful. And the romantic side of me and the fantasy side of me is like, oh gosh, if I could ever meet somebody like her. Oh. When we were getting ready to do this interview, And I knew something was different about you.
2: Mm, And I kept putting off your request because of what I was going through.
1: (laughs) And all I can think about is I wanted to hug you back then when I knew that you were the the latex goddess of my (laughs) dreams. But I would really love and hope someday that I can hug Brooke. Because you're a pretty amazing woman.
2: Thank you, John. That means a lot. And uh, I appreciate your patience and um, tenacity Hmm. in asking me to be on. Because I think what you're doing here is amazing. You know, and uh, it was really important to me if I was on to be able to be honest about the journey I just shared. Because, you know, there's all these photos and latex and all these videos on YouTube of Disneyland and those are amazing memories. But the lessons I'm getting right now are the strongest. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm growing the most right now by not having what I was good at. And learning to be good at something new, you know, and um it was really important to me that if I did this show with you, that I was honest about, yeah, I can tell you how great Hudson is or how talented Brooke Wilkes is, but who's this Hudson Brook? Well, it's, it's everything I've been through and Hudsey Brooke is cleaning houses and she's writing a book. And I feel really good about that. And if it wasn't for the other two lives I've already had in this one, I'd have nothing to say right now, <laughs> you know? So I appreciate the opportunity to spill the tea or, you know, kick myself out of the closet, whatever you want to call it,
1: you know? You do it with pride and I know that people will listen to this, especially after all they've been through during a pandemic. The people who thought they knew who they were, like myself thinking I was a television producer all my life. Now I work for a bank in customer service and I feel just as good about my journey as i ever did as a tv producer because i'm helping people every day exactly doing the same
2: thing that's i mean that's what it's all about when when i had the death of the ego and i really well i have walked away from what being a kink educator or dominatrix means to my ego or what being a singer um, or someone who booked educators or cover bands for so many years what does that say about me that's just things I've done. It's not who I am, you know, and the important thing is that we help others and that we be of service. So if someone's listening to this show and they're feeling maybe badly about a job they have or a direction they've taken, there's no mistakes. There's nothing wrong with any of it. You know, I don't, I don't believe in wrong decisions. A mistake is only a mistake if you don't learn from it, (laughs) you know? So I welcome every strange turn down a different road I wasn't supposed to take because I was supposed to go down that road so that I can be of better service to someone else who's going to go down a similar road. You know, that's, that's, I mean, that's why I enjoyed doing your show a year ago because someone watching that show may have learned something that they needed. You know, some kind of, I was in Ireland teaching a class on spanking and I was explaining how to, time and how to move things around. And a girl came up to me afterwards and said, I'm so glad my sir just saw that. <laughs> I was like, "Ooh!" She's like, he doesn't do any of that. And I think he was like, he felt like he just got a new bag of tricks. And I'm just glad I'm the bottom he gets to do them on, you know? <laughs> I was like, right? Like and he probably spanks way better than I do, you know, but it's it's about like perspectives and we can all learn from each other. You know, and that's the whole point. I'm sorry I'm going on and on, John, but you inspired me to say that, you know, we are not a brand. A brand is my car, my Subaru. Are we cars? Is one car better than the other? You know, I, I'm really tired of everyone saying they're a brand or my brand. No, you're a person. You're a spiritual being having a human experience. And, you know, when you're, when you're done with that, are you going to be talking about what your brand was no you'd be laying on your deathbed wondering who loved you and who you loved and if you made a difference so i i ask everyone out there to sing your heart out spank yourself into whatever lesson you need to have and scrub your soul whether it's someone's toilet or your own integrity around something you've been you know not sure about those are, those are three words I'm going to live by for the rest of my life. You know, sing, spank, scrub. They, they're three different chapters of my life that have all made me a better human. And that's all we can do. That's all we, That's all we should focus on.
1: I'm going to add one more word to that, and that's love. And I can't express how much love I have for you opening up to me today and giving us one of our most powerful shows ever. I can't oh my
2: gosh! Well, I mean, I I thank you, John. Thank you for asking me to do this, and uh, it's a big. This is a big deal for me, you know. Um, I've done a lot of interviews; they're out there forever <laughs> in uh, cyberland, and this is the most honest that I've ever done.
1: I was so amazed that Hutsy shared the story that she did with me and with us. It is an amazing story and one that many people would think would be tragic, but hearing her voice and hearing her feelings and thoughts lets me know that Hutsey Brooke has an extremely bright future from her perspective now. That's gonna do it for this edition of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want presented by Dating Kinky. I'm John always known as Hi There Katsu. I hope I've earned the privilege of your time and remind you to always remember consent and to love each other always.
0: What women and other wonderful humans want connects with you. Leave us a message at 513-788-2527. And we invite you to follow us on social media, check us out at what women want p1 on twitter what women want podcast on instagram and for our kinky friends on fetlife at wwwpodcast this has been a presentation of dating
4: kinky we are kinky done differently